Well, good morning. I love that rendition, especially Johnny Sugarmar, but thank you all of you guys for sharing about love. We continue our series this morning, and you know, I've found over the years that it's not good practice uh, to refer to your wife or children when speaking from the front in church. It usually comes back to bite you, maybe at Sunday lunch, and uh, so I think it's a bit of an unwritten rule that you don't do it. And if you do choose to do it, you limit what you say to really positive things about them. Well, today we're going to look at the Old Testament prophet Hosea, who clearly didn't know about or follow that rule. His whole message is heavily based around his home life, his wife Goma, and their three children, and he has less than positive things to say about them. Hosea, in the Old Testament, is the first of 12 minor prophets at the end of the, of the, of the Old Testament, and his marriage becomes an object lesson paralleling God's relationship with Israel. Now, God tells him to marry a promiscuous woman and have children with her, and God's people, Israel, are pictured as if they're God's unfaithful wife, and their turning away from God and their worship of other gods was akin to spiritual adultery. But just to get some context for the time in which Hosea is speaking, there's a king, his name was Jeroboam II, and he was on the throne of the northern kingdom of Israel about the mid-700s BC. And his military exploits had extended Israel's border farther than they'd been for a long time, farther than they'd been since the days of Solomon's uh, glorious kingdom. And so tribute money was flowing in from around the nations into the capital city of Samaria, which was great. And the people of Israel were enjoying a period of unprecedented prosperity. But you know that when a nation becomes prosperous, it's also um, liable to fall into moral and spiritual decline, spiritual degeneration. And that was the case with Israel. An indication of the downward slide um, that they were on is that after Jeroboam II's um, reign, which reigned, he reigned for 41 years, after his reign, there were six kings in about 20 years. And of those six kings, Four of them uh, took the throne because they assassinated the one before them. And so it was troubled times. And you can imagine uh, what it was like in that, in that place. And it was a downward slide. And the thing that grieved the heart of God more than anything else was the sin of idolatry. And so today, as we look at this topic of Hosea, in Hosea chapter 4 and verse 12, uh, it just sort of sums up where they were at. The prophet says, My people consults a wooden idol, and a diviner's rod speaks to them. A spirit of prostitution leads them astray. They are unfaithful to their God. That's the situation that, that uh, is, in, is in Samaria and in Israel at the time. And the golden calves that had been set up, if you read the, the history in, in, uh, King, by Jeroboam I, about 150 years before this, had opened the floodgates to every evil expression of uh, Canaanite pagan religion that was around them uh, and idolatry. And there was all sorts of drunkenness and religious prostitution and even human sacrifice. So you can see how low uh, they had gone. So it's into this story, this story about Israel, that Hosea brings his prophetic message, <clears throat> warning of judgment and warning of the demise and scattering of Israel as a nation if they refused to turn back to God. 
Now, sadly, that was an eventuality that happened uh, and probably Hosea witnessed in his lifetime. At the very start of the book, he gives a bit of context and he says he, he was prophesying during the time of Jeroboam in the northern kingdom, but he lists all these kings in Judah, which is the southern kingdom of Israel, and uh, they go beyond Jeroboam too. Uh, quite, a, quite a deal. So it was, it was clear that Hosea prophesied, but his, his prophecies also uh, warning Israel. The warnings weren't heeded, and uh, Israel was scattered in his lifetime. Let's read the, uh, the little first part of the story. It says, When the Lord began to speak through Hosea, the Lord said to him, Go marry a promiscuous woman and have children with her, for like an adulterous wife, this land is guilty of unfaithfulness to the Lord. So he married Goma, daughter of Giblaim. And so begins this painful personal love story where the prophet's very own experiences mirror God's experience with wayward Israel. Hosea had married a woman who acted like a prostitute and yet his love for her was just an unwavering love. He gave her everything a good wife deserved, I imagine. He gave her his love, he gave her his home, he gave her his name, he gave her his reputation. And what did she do? She responded by sleeping around with other men. And she humiliated him to the point of despair, and yet still he, he clung to her. And he couldn't even be sure that the children that she bore to him were his. Their names say something about God's anger and his grief and his jealousy as he thinks about the people that he loves and longs for. This is just the, the, uh, the three children that they have. In, and uh, it says, Goma conceived and bore him a son. And the Lord said to Hosea, call him Jezreel. Now, Jezreel could mean to scatter or to plant. And in this case, it's the, the idea of scatter. This is what's going to happen to Israel. Because I will soon punish the house of Jeshu for the massacre at Jezreel, and I'll put an end to the kingdom of Israel. So that's the first child. And then... Goma conceived again and gave birth to a daughter. And the, the Lord said to Hosea, call her Lo-Ruhamah, which means not loved, for I will no longer show love to Israel. So that's the second child, a girl. And then after she'd weaned Lo-Ruhamah, Goma had another son. And then the Lord said, call him Lo-Amai, which means not my people, for you are not my people and I am not your God. Now I would suggest that the names that uh, Hosea has chosen for his children are not the sort of names you want to give your children if you wanted them to grow up with a measure of self-esteem. And yet clearly those names spoke powerfully of God's anguish at Israel's idolatry and their turning away from him. But then comes the final blow. Gomer's uh, promiscuity had drawn her into the wrong company and she's hit rock bottom. She's being sold as a slave and God told Hosea to do the unthinkable, to go and redeem, to buy back his wife. So Hosea, you can imagine, he must have cried out to God, why? She's thrown my love away. Why would I have to buy back what I really already own? This is what God said. The Lord said to me, go show your love to your wife again, though she is loved by another man and is an adulteress. Love her as the Lord loves the Israelites, though they turn to other gods and love the sacred raisin cakes. I love the bit about the sacred raisin cakes, but they were clearly uh, related to, to pagan worship. And so what did uh, Hosea do? I brought her for 15 shekels of silver and about a homer and a lethic of barley. Then I told her, you are to live with me many days. You must not be a prostitute 
or be intimate with any man, and I will behave the same way towards you. Well, what a story. And how do we um, apply a story like this to us today? It's a powerful story about, about God's love. And I want to suggest, first of all, that God's love is a jealous love. When we think about the word jealousy, we often have a, a very negative connotation to it, but jealousy clearly can have positive and ne negative aspects. But when we think of God's jealousy, there are no human limitations or corruptions in the way God is jealous. Uh, when Moses delivered the uh, Ten Commandments to the people of Israel, the second commandment uh, read like this. It said, You shall make, not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath, or in the waters below, you shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. God describes himself as a jealous God because he's telling them not to make anything else to worship, worship him alone. And their response at that time was resounding, we'll do all that the Lord has said. And yet Israel has this persistent problem of turning away from God and turning to idols. So it's not long after that we have the incident in Exodus of the, the golden calf and Moses takes a long while to come down from the mountain so they start worshipping this golden calf. And uh, God commands them again in Exodus 34, don't worship any other God for the Lord whose name is jealous is a jealous God. And so by using Hosea and Gomer as an example and by likening his relationship to God's relationship to Israel as the relationship between a husband and a wife, God is pointing to the exclusiveness of the relationship. The exclusiveness of the sexual relationship in a marriage is the essence of a marriage. We say when we're married, I'm going to forsake all others and keep myself only for you as long as I shall live. And so there's an exclusivity about the marriage relationship. And God's desire is for an exclusive relationship of love with his people. And it's little wonder that he was grieved when he saw them chasing after the gods of the pagan nations around them. And I wonder about us. You know, God is jealous, jealous for an exclusive relationship with you and with me. You know, there are times in our lives, I believe, when we're not unlike Israel. Times when we take for granted all the things that God has given us. Uh, and yet still leave him out of our thinking, leave him out of our decisions. Times when God is, is not our first priority. And yet in spite of our unfaithfulness, God did something that was beyond belief. He kept loving us and he was prepared to pay a huge price to redeem us, to buy us back. God's son Jesus, in his life, his death and his resurrection, showed us God's amazing love uh, to a, an incredible extent. And Peter in the New Testament says this, he says, For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold, or in uh, uh, Hosea's case, such as silver and barley that he brought Gomer back with, it was not with perishable things that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. God says to us, to you and to me, as he said to Israel long ago, I love you, I love you. And you say, why do you love me? Oh, I love you just because I love you. And I want you to be my people. And it doesn't make sense that God would love us that much, but he does. Uh, so it's just a wonderful picture of God's love for us. The second uh, thing I want to suggest that comes out of this story for me is that God doesn't force us to love him. 
it strikes me here in this story that for a time, God is willing to let Israel go. Hosea, in his marriage, he never downplayed the wrong that Goma had done to him. His love had been betrayed. And when Goma no longer wanted anything to do with him and insisted on being unfaithful to him, Hosea let her go, knowing that she'd suffer, knowing that she'd be used, knowing that she'd even be abused. But Goma had to live out the consequences of her wrong choices. And similarly for Israel, Hosea's whole message is about the perilous consequences of ignoring God. And if we choose to turn our backs on God, then God will allow us to suffer the consequences of our choices. You see, to be known and loved by God was Israel's great privilege. And when they turned away from God, it was as if Hosea's children's names were their experience, not my people, and not loved. Thirdly, I want to suggest, and a really positive thing, is that God's love will always want you back. We often give up on people, don't we? It seems natural to us and all too easy of us to write others off, especially when our, our trust or our love has been betrayed. But God is different. And the Lord said to Hosea, we read it before, he said this, Go, show your love to your wife again, though she is loved by another, by another man, and is an adulteress. Love her as, though the, love her as the Lord loves the Israelites, though they turn to other gods. It would have been, been uh, one thing if Goma had just you know, slipped up a little bit, um, just made a little mistake. Maybe that could have been excused. But even after Hosea confronted her, she continued to prostitute herself. She flaunted it. She forgot everything that Hosea had ever done for her. But still, God told him to buy her back out of slavery. And God asked Hosea to do that because that's what God, God does. God's love never runs out. David wrote in uh, Psalm 139, Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? Hosea assures us, you know, that you, me, we can never run so far that we can outrun God's love for us. So no matter what you've done, God wants you back and he sees you as his beloved bride, um, one that he loves, one that he cherishes. In the second chapter of Hosea, it's an incredibly poetic chapter. The first part is, is filled with uh, the consequences of um, Israel's turning away from God. But the second half beautifully describes the restored relationship that God sees in the future for his people. I just want to read you some excerpts from it because it's absolutely beautiful. God says, I will win her back once again. When that day comes, says the Lord, you will call me my husband instead of my master. I will make you my wife forever, showing you righteousness and justice, unfailing love and compassion. I'll be faithful to you and make you mine, and you will finally know me as the Lord. In that day, I will answer, says the Lord. I will answer the sky as it pleads for clouds, and the sky will answer the earth with rain, and then the earth will answer the thirsty cries of the grain, the grapevines and the olive trees, and they in turn will answer, Jezreel, God plants. At that time, I will plant a crop of Israelites and raise them for myself. And then God says, I will show love to those I called not loved. And to those I called not my people, I will say, now you are my people. And they will reply, you are our God. 
an amazing picture of a time of restoration of relationship that God always wants to bring his people back to himself. In the end of the first chapter, it says a similar thing. The time will come when Israel's people will be like the sands of the seashore, too many to count. And then at that place where they were told, you are not my people, it will be said, you are the children of the living God. And then the people of Judah and Israel will unite together. They will choose one leader from themselves and they will return from exile together. What a day that will be, the day of Jezreel, when God will again plant his people in his land. It reminds me of that uh, song that we sing sometimes about God's love. Your love never fails. It never gives up. It never runs out on me. I wonder this morning, perhaps you think that what you've done in your life could never be forgiven. Uh, maybe you feel that you've neglected chasing after God for so long that it's too late to change. But God not only wants you to come back, he's gone to great lengths to bring you back, to buy you back. And he says to you and me what Hosea effectively said to Goma, I know what you've done. Nothing's hidden from me. I know how you've turned your back on me, but I'm ready to forgive you and I'm willing to restore you to the relationship we once had. But more than anything else in the world, I want you to be mine again. I want you to know all of the blessings that come from being intimately connected to me in faithful relationship. Maybe you're a follower of Jesus and you know someone in your life who's feeling isolated or ashamed and alone because of, of their own failure one way or another. Maybe they feel they've been written off by others and even by God. I wonder if God might be asking you to be the vehicle of forgiving, healing love, the love of God that, that never runs out, expressed through your kindness to them. As we close this morning, may you know just how much you are loved by God, a God who is jealous for an exclusive relationship with you. But may you also be aware that God won't force his love on you, but to spurn his love is to miss life's greatest treasure. And may you today resolve to walk in step with the one who sees the depths of our hearts and still loves us the same, who always wants you back by his side. That's our amazing God.